Good to have you all here with us today. We are finishing up our series on the parables. And we're going to be taking a look at the persistent widow. It kind of goes in line with what we looked at last week with the friend at midnight because there's persistence in both of these. But in this parable, there are some things that are taught from it. So did Jesus teach us to continually ask in prayer until we get an answer and receive what we ask for? Is that what we were taught in this parable? Because that's what a lot of folks teach out of this. Are we supposed to continually come to God in prayer until we receive what we ask for? So this is what we see in Luke chapter 18. So we're just going to take a look at the parable. Now there's a couple of things we went over last last Sunday. If you weren't here, you can go back online. You can check it out that way. And also on the Wednesday before that, we covered some things to help you out to understand misinterpreted prophecy and then last Sunday we applied it to misinterpreted teaching. You're going to see some of that in, in this for what some people teach on these topics. So we want you to be able to, to see this. So let's just dig into the, into the parable here right away. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. So in this particular parable, this does not always happen in the parables, but in this one it happens. He is telling you right off the bat. Jesus is not telling you. The person who's writing this is telling you because he understood the purpose of the parable. And he's telling you right in here that Jesus spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. So we have two things in there. First off, keep on praying. And the second one, don't lose heart while you do it. Weist translates this verse this way. And he was giving them an illustration which had for its teaching point that it is a necessity in the nature of the case for them at all times to be praying and not to be losing courage. He puts it as courage instead of heart. That could change some of the ways that you understand this. So the purpose here is told. Now understand this. The purpose of the parable is told, but not the application. A lot of times people have applied things in the Word of God to the wrong areas. We have to make sure that we apply it correctly. Now this must involve, I'm putting your outline for you, this must involve praying for the same thing or praying in the face of adversity. Be one of those two things. Either praying for the same thing or praying in the face of adversity. Those are the things that would get you to lose heart. We, should, we would only lose heart if we don't see an answer. So if you're praying for the same thing and you don't see an answer, then you might lose heart. And this is the way some of the people will teach this. Now, how many times... I'm sure you're all familiar with this parable. Let's just read it. Make sure that we're all up to, up to this. Verse 1 again. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying get justice for me for my adversary and he would not for a while but afterward he said within himself though I do not fear God nor regard man now I'm going to give you the weast translation here for verse 4 and he kept on being unwilling to do so for a considerable time I like the way weast put that he kept on being unwilling to do so for a considerable time 
However, afterward, he said to himself, although God I do not fear or man respect, and then he goes on in verse 5, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Now, we can only rightly apply this to prayer that we are taught involves continual prayer. So that's what we have to look for is prayer that involves continual prayer. Many people have taught this parable and applied it in all kinds of areas. Now, you can't do that and be justified with Scripture. There were two things we went over last week as far as understanding misinterpreted prophecy and misunderstood or misinterpreted teaching. Two of those things I'm going to go over here with this. One of them is isolation. In order for someone to misinterpret a prophecy or misinterpret a teaching and sell it to you, they need to isolate it from the rest of Scripture. We cannot have the other Scriptures shedding light on this. We have to isolate it, and so we just have to stay with that one. That's the first thing. The other thing is separation. Those are just two of the four things we gave you, just going over these two. Separation. Whatever the Word teaches us truly is separate from how the world thinks. Now think about this. Can the world agree with prayers to a God that you continually pray to Him hoping that you find Him in a good mood. Hoping that you find Him that maybe today He'll answer it for you. Because you just never know. Is that a, a, an acceptable view as far as the world is concerned? As far as I know, that is. The world will accept that. A view that says, ask God and believe you received it, they don't receive that one. So if you're going to take that interpretation, you are no longer separated from the world. Those are two of the points we gave you for understanding misinterpreted prophecy and misinterpreted teaching. And it would fail on both of those things. We gave you some of the principles before. If Mark eleven twenty three and 24 means when you stand praying, believe that you have received them and ye shall have them. If Jesus standing before the fig tree and says, may no one eat fruit of you ever again. If the prophet standing with, with Nathan, doesn't even, he doesn't even come out to the door. But he says to the, to, the, to the Syrian, go wash seven times in the river. He doesn't keep coming out there and hitting it. He, keep, he just says, go wash. When the ten lepers come to Jesus, he says, go show yourselves to the priest. There's no continually going. When, when um, Lazarus is in the tomb, he stands in front of the tomb and he says... One time, Lazarus, come forth, right? So if all these examples and the teachings we have in Scripture go against that interpretation, and it's not an interpretation that is separate from the world, then it is very likely that we have misunderstood this and we are applying something in Scripture to our prayers that will not actually work. What we need to do is understand what he is saying. And then we can get this. So, so first off, we see this. The reason for her coming to the unjust judge. Now, how many think that Jesus wants to tell a parable about an unjust judge being God? God is not an unjust judge. 
He does, he does not walk in such a way that he does not fear God or respect man. That's not how God operates. So, the unjust judge is not God, not made out to be God, not a partial representative of God. That's just not there. He is showing you someone completely opposite from God. And a request comes to them. How do they handle it? That's the contrast. That's the example that he's, he's given you. This woman wants justice. That's what it says she, she needs. Verse 3 again. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. Now he's a judge. That's what a judge does. He, he administers justice. Something has been wrong here. She feels that she has been wrong. I need you to step in. Now she's a widow. She doesn't have a husband to stand up for her. And this is a very man-centered uh, society. It's not that a woman couldn't stand up for herself. Well, the Bible is teaching that. It's just in that society. It's a very man-oriented society. She didn't have a husband to do this. She was coming to the judge to stand up for her. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. So she, he's going to get wore out. He's going to get tired of all this this fun. Every day she's coming. Every day she's asking me the same thing. I'm getting tired of hearing this, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Not because I like her. Not because I fear God. Not because I have any respect for man. Just because I don't want the hassle. That's it. That's a completely and purely selfish reason. That is not our God. God does not operate in that way. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him though he bears long with them? So now he's contrasting God. Now God, a whole different category than this unjust judge, isn't God going to avenge? Now first off, the request of the woman is to get justice from the adversity. Basically, if you want to fill in these blanks, you can. I need you, God, in parentheses, God, I need you, in parentheses, God, to act on my behalf against another. That's what the request would be. I need you, I need God, to act on my behalf against another. That's the request. If you are going to apply it, you can only apply it to requests that are similar to the one that's in the parable. But what happens is people come out and they, they get this understanding. You've got to be persistent. You've got to be persistent in prayer. So if you need a new car, if you need a new job, you need to come to God every single day and remind Him. And tell him, oh God, I need a job. Oh God, please give me a job. Oh God, please heal me. Oh God, I'm in such pain. Oh God, will you please... We need to keep continually coming. That's what they teach. But that's not what this parable is about. This is the request of the woman. She wants justice. Now there are prayers that are asking God to supply our needs or the needs of others. There are prayers that go that way. There's prayers for wisdom. That would be one. The Word of God tells us to ask for wisdom. If any man needs wisdom, wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally. That doesn't teach us in that passage of Scripture in James that we are to continually come. We are to ask. Finances. Maybe we need finances. Well, there's nothing in the Word of God that says we have to keep continu continually coming every day, reminding God, God, I need money. In fact, the Word of God tells us this. Before you even come to God in prayer, He knows what you have need of. You don't have to remind him. You don't have to tell him. He already knows what you had need of. 
But what he teaches you to do is seek first the kingdom of God. All these other things will be added unto you. Doesn't teach you to keep continually coming that way. Direction. Sometimes we need direction in life. God, I don't know what to do on this. I have a decision to make. I have a thing to do. Well, it doesn't teach us that we are to continually come and ask him for that. We ask God for it and God will give us a direction. Send it to us. I, uh, I like how uh, one, one uh, teacher I had, he was teaching us on this. And he said, if you ask God for direction, really, if you ask God for wisdom, if you ask God for how to handle a situation, anything like that. Once you ask God for the wisdom, once you ask God for the direction of the situation, uh, that's it. Just believe that you've received it. Because it says he gives to men liberally. He gives to us liberally. He'll give, give us what we need in that situation. So, well, what do you do when somebody comes up to you and says, well, what are you going to do in that situation? And no, most times people will say, well, I don't know. God hasn't told me yet. I'm still asking him. I'm still seeking him on this. Uh, and, but don't do that. Don't pray that way. Simply say, well, I asked God. And the word of God says that he will send it to me. Well, what are you going to do now? Well, right now I don't need to make a decision. When I need to make a decision, I will know what to do. And just state it that way. That's a statement of faith. Instead of bewilderment, wondering, doubt and unbelief, you don't need to make those kind of things. So direction is one. Now, there are petitions to bring God's will to the earth. We've been told to, to pray that. God's will is done in heaven. Let's have his will be done here on the earth. Healing is one of those things. There is no sick people in heaven. But down here on the earth, there are some sickness and diseases and things that go on. So we want to bring that into the earth here. There's the deliverance. There's nobody in heaven needs to be delivered. But down here on earth, we know even as Jesus walked the earth, he was delivering people. And the same thing with the apostles and others. There's preservation. Well, God, I need you to preserve me in this. How many times did the disciples go into a, a very tense situation? Paul go into a very tense situation. And they asked for preservation. Jesus walked into situations and he had preservation because he said, no one takes my life. But I lay it down. No one takes my life. Now we see that also Daniel was preserved in the lion's den. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, they were preserved in the fiery furnace. Jesus was preserved in many situations. So there's preservations. There's, there's times we ask God, God, I need to be preserved out of this situation. Now for petitions, we just simply line up with the word in faith and act. Just line up with it. If I'm going to make a petition of God, if I'm going to say, well, God, I need wisdom. I need finances. I'm making a petition of God. I simply need to just get in line with the word. I got to find out what does the word say on this? What does the word say that I am supposed to do I am supposed to say, I am supposed to believe. What does the word teach me on this? What, what should I have done? What should I have walked in, moved in? We find out from the word. I line up with the word. Once I get in line with the word, then we're good. So that's what I need to do. With the petitions, we just line up with the word in faith and act. For prayers of supply, we need to line up with God and his word and make our requests known. We just make our request. Well, God, I need some supply in this area. I need something in this. I need a uh, uh, something to go on in my body. I need something to go on in my job. I need something to go on in my home. I need something to go on with my car. Whatever it might be, I need some supply. We just need to pray and ask God 
and make our request. That's all that the Word of God teaches us to do. It does not teach us to continually come to Him and hound Him until He answers us. Now, but I put this in your outline, I believe, but in this we want God to judge an injustice and exact payment from another. This is an injustice. We saw an injustice done and we want there to be some kind of restitution, some kind of payment, some kind of uh, decision that is made here. So it's different from those other ones. I'll take a look at some other areas of Scripture. I wrote the references in so you don't have to write them down. I'm going to read them for you here. Psalm 105, 7 and 8. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in the earth. He remembers His covenant forever. The word which He commanded for a thousand generations. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. That's what the Word of God tells us. His judgments are in all the earth. Luke 12 and 36. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. When he will return from the wedding and when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. So we're, we're living this life in such a way, I'm looking for the master to return. I'm looking for the master to come back because I know when he comes back, things will be different. Things will happen. Titus 2 and 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 And to wait for His Son from heaven when He raised from the dead and even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. These verses all talk about Jesus coming. Jesus is coming. We know that Jesus is coming. Jude 1.21 Keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. While these things are going on you got to make sure you stay in the love of God because all the injustice that's going on around the world how many of y'all know that can pull you out of the love of God? You ever felt that pull? Oh, I get so angry when people do this. I get so mad when I see this kind of stuff going on and the abuse that they're putting through people through. We can get mad. But he says, keep yourself in the love of God. Doesn't mean you can't get mad. Doesn't mean you can't get righteously indignant at some of those things because God himself does. But just make sure you stay in the love of God. That's the thing that we have to, to make sure we do. It is easy to look at the unjust judge But I keep this in mind too. The widow is looking for justice done for wrongs she received. That's what she's looking for, right? I'll tell you what, it's a whole lot easier for us to come to God and and say, oh, we got to come. Oh, I've been wronged. I've been wronged. You see, we focus so much on the unjust judge in this parable. And we say, all right, that's an unrighteous judge. But look at the woman. The woman is only there for what she had done to herself. But the Word of God doesn't teach us that about God, nor does it teach it about ourselves. We are supposed to get ourselves to a place where we are more concerned with the injustice done to other people than we are to ourselves. Look at the people in the Bible. How often do we see people like Moses more concerned with the injustice done by people to God or people to each other than things done to him? David, more concerned with things done to other people than things that were done to him. And the list could go on. Jesus, more concerned with the unjust things done to other people than the unjust stuff done to him. Stephen, they're stoning him. Don't hold this against them. He is more concerned with the injustice done to other people than he is to himself. Those are our examples. So don't think that the widow is a perfect example in this story. He's giving you the the other extreme there as well. 
We are supposed to be looking out for the injustice that is done on a much bigger scale than just to ourselves. And we have a God who is more concerned about it than an unjust judge is. So let's take a look at the relevance to all this. First off, this parable has nothing to do with prayers of faith to receive or act in faith's power. Nothing to do with it. There's nothing about the power of faith. There is nothing about faith to receive anything. It's completely missing from this parable. Therefore, we can't apply it in any of those things. It deals with acts done against God's people. This is acts that are done against God's people. People have been out there and we see acts that are done. How many times have you seen reports other countries and they are taking uh, people from church and shooting them, putting them in ditches, uh, raiding pastors' homes, things along this nature? How, how angry do you get? And you can see it's, it's being done by the government. The government forces are coming out. And you just want to pray, God, bring justice down upon those people, upon that government that is there. How many of you want to pray like that? Yes, we do. This is acts that are done against God's people. And it's their prayers for justice. Now, we'll get, to, we'll get back to that part here in just a minute. But I want to get to this first. Where does persistence fit? If persistence does not fit in the area of me continually coming after God with the same request. And persistence was very much in the parable last week and persistence is very much in this parable this week. I have to understand where does persistence go? It is very easy for us to apply persistence in continually coming to God with the same request because this is what religion will do and Satan is the God of religion, loves religion. He will steer you in a direction of religion and you will have absolutely no opposition. You can pray that way all you want to. But you start praying the prayer of faith, you're going to have all of hell coming against you. They don't like that. But where does persistence fit? Now, persistence does not fit in asking for the same thing over and over again. That is not persistence. That is doubt and unbelief. Smith Wigglesworth said it, and I've quoted him many times. If you ask seven times for any one thing, you have asked six times in unbelief. You can't get around that. You just take it right back to the, to the house. You've got kids growing up in your house. Your son comes in. Mom, can I have a cookie? And you say, you may have one. And he goes away. He comes back in 30 minutes later. Mom, can I have a cookie? I told you, you can have one. And he goes away. He comes back in. Mom, can I have a cookie? I told you, you can have one. Don't ask me again. It gets you a little frustrated, right? Why don't you take advantage of what I said you, that you can have? This is the way it is with God. God has said what we can have. He has told us things that we are to do. Or He has given us things. Don't keep asking for the same thing. Everything we do needs to be done in faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. We've got to make sure we walk in a way that is pleasing to Him. And that is a way of faith. So persistence must not move me into doubt. Persistence cannot move me into doubt. For a lot of Christians, persistence moves them into a place of doubt. The enemy rises up. He will, understand this, the enemy will, will inspire your prayers. He will try. He will try very hard to inspire your prayers. Because if he can get your prayers wrong, he's got your faith wrong. He can inspire you and say, you remember that thing you need? 
Don't forget to pray about that today. Oh, yeah, I didn't pray about that yet today. I need to pray about that today. You've just been inspired by the wrong source. No, the Spirit of God will rise up and say, didn't you ask about that yesterday? I did. Then stand in faith. You don't need to keep moving around about that. Stand in faith. You need to just do that. But there, there is a place for persistence. To be persistent in believing is to have actions corresponding to my faith. If I'm going to be persistent in believing, and that's what we need to have. I need to be persistent in believing. And when we look at the, the next part, we're going to see this is very much in this parable. Be persistent in believing. Now, to give you an example, if you're up on Facebook at all this, this week, you saw some pictures and a, a little report from my daughter who put up some things about Etta. How many saw those things on Facebook? All right. Etta was over there eating. And she was putting food in her mouth and chewing on it. And that's a good thing because of some of the things they did in the hospital. Kind of got her adverse to all that sort of stuff. So they have been working to overcome that. Now, you can look at that and say, Oh, glory to God. Some people look at, Well, we've been persistent in prayer. No, that's not what did it. What did it was faith in believing in that prayer. Now, you didn't get to see all the stuff that went before. But I got to see it. My wife got to see it. We got to see these things that went on before. You don't know how many weeks that they have been going on and taking food and putting it on Etta's uh, little, little spot right there and putting that food on there. For weeks, for a long, long time, this has been going on, putting the food on there. Guess what Etta would do with the food? Throw it on the floor. Throw it on the floor. Get it on herself. She'd become a mess. Throw it on the floor. Every day. Three times a day. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. They put food on the tray. And it would throw it on the floor. What happens when it gets thrown on the floor? You got to clean it up. So they go out there and they get the dustpan. They clean it up. They get the vacuum and they vacuum it up. They get the mop and they mop it up. Every day. Three times a day. They kept going at it. Kept going at it. Kept going at it. That's persistence. See, that's persistence in faith. I'm believing that what we've asked for, we received. But they kept putting the thing in front. Kept putting it in front. That's what you got to do. you got to keep putting that in, in front. Wherever they would go, they put the food in front of her. She'd throw it on the floor. But all of a sudden, one time, she decided to put it in her mouth. <laughs> Glory to God. See, that's persistence. But that's persistence in belief. Be persistent in belief. Don't be persistent in unbelief. Many things that even uh, pastors, teachers, people are teaching from this passage is to teach you to be persistent in unbelief. Don't do that. Don't go in that direction. You may think that you have word for it, but you've got a misunderstood teaching and you are applying it in the wrong way. Do not ever keep continually coming after God when the Word of God teaches you to do something else. That's not persistence in faith. And that's how we're supposed to go. Be persistent in faith. Be persistent in, in, in prayer in that you continually come in prayer and you keep talking to God. We looked at that in one of the parables before. But be, be persistent in your faith actions. Keep having your faith actions to go along with it. Verse, verse 8 again. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will really, will he really find faith on the earth? Now this verse is really an important verse for this understanding this parable. When is the Son of Man coming? 
When is the Son of Man coming? Oh, He comes every day. No, He does not. Who is here in place of the Son of Man? The Holy Spirit. Remember Jesus' words? I go to my Father. And it's good that I go because the Helper will come. So the Holy Spirit is here. He's kind of our down payment or our assurance that Jesus is coming. So the Holy Spirit is here, but Jesus is in heaven seated by the, by the Father. That's His position. But it says here, when the Son of Man comes. So when does justice come? Well, when the Son of Man comes. That's when justice is coming. Now, is, the son of, is this coming of the Son of Man the rapture, or is it the second advent? The folks here in the Bible that he's talking to, they don't know about the rapture. But I've shown you in a couple other parables that though Jesus didn't teach about the rapture, he left room for it. He let them understand what they could, but he left room for it. So let's take a look at this. In the rapture, what happens in the rapture? All of the Lord's ambassadors are pulled out of the earth. My, one of my favorite Greek words, harpazo, to snatch away. You will be snatched away out of danger. He is pulling his ambassadors out. Because what comes after we are harpazoed out of the earth? The wrath of God, tribulation that no one has seen on these days. Why does the wrath of God come upon the earth? Because God is angry. In fact, if you get into the Greek word on this, you will find out that there is a description of God's anger that is held for the time of the tribulation. It's not used to describe God's anger. It's used to describe other people's anger. But it's not used to describe God's anger until we get to the tribulation. Because He is coming to execute wrath upon the earth. I think you can make a case for it being not only the second advent, which it definitely is, but I think you can also make a case that it is the rapture. Because when he comes and raptures out his people, he is then taking vengeance. Now, who's he taking vengeance on? He's taking vengeance on those who persecuted his church, who martyred his saints. He's coming after these people that have spread unrighteousness and sin in the world. He's coming after them. In the second advent, he's coming. I have a verse for you. Revelation uh, 6, 9 through 11. Take a look at this. When he opened the fifth seal. Now, the, the seals are the first group of judgments that are opened. This is the fifth one. I saw under the altar of the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? What does that verse sound like to you? Does it sound like the parable? When will you execute judgment on us? They killed us. They killed us. When are you going to execute judgment? Then a white robe was given to each of them and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was complete. What he's saying is, I want you just to rest for a little while. 
I know there's a whole lot of you up here, but you're not all here yet. They're going to kill some more. And that was going to go on. But he said, don't worry. Once, once they're all here, I'm going. <laughs> and he's going to execute judgment on those that are on the earth. But are they not making that exact same prayer that Jesus was saying in the parable? Execute judgment for us. They saw that people in the tribulation executed these folks because of their faith. So take judgment on us. So he says again in verse 8, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Are we going to be a group of people who is complaining? Oh, it's been taking so long. Oh, I can't believe how long it's been taking for the Lord to come. I'm sure no one here has ever prayed this way. But just use your imagination. Maybe people in other countries. Maybe they've uh, prayed this way and thought, Oh, Lord, it's taking so long. I am so tired of all the evil in this world. I'm so tired of all the injustice that's being done. Please come and execute your judgment. Anybody ever make a prayer like that? Get a little tired of seeing all this stuff going on. You see the people that are... I mean, one of the things that gets me angry is you see all this stuff about politicians and some of the evil that they have done in spending people's money or in executing judgment or having favoritism for the people that are uh, their family or that are on their in their party or whatever it might be. And all this evidence comes out and all these things are going out and all these things that are illegal and nothing happens to them. How many get tired of that? Yeah, I get a little bit tired of that. I, I just want to, I don't want to hear about the evidence anymore. Do something. Lock them up. Stop them from doing this. Why are they still in office? Why are they still executing all these things? And we get a little frustrated at that. We want our people that are supposed to be our people that are looking out for the, the, the common man. We want them to stand up and force the law. If it's illegal to do that, then why are they doing it? Why do you have evidence? And we can get a little frustrated at all this sort of stuff. We want executing judgment there. Well, you see, we can get to a place where we don't have any faith in God. God, I've been believing for the rapture for a long time. And it hasn't happened. And people have taught me that it was going to happen so many years after Israel came into being. And it didn't happen. And then they taught it was going to happen so many years after they took Jerusalem. And it didn't happen. And then there was taught that it was going to happen so many years after this event. And it didn't happen. And we're still waiting. And we're still waiting. Oh God, are you ever going to come? Is judgment ever going to be poured out? And we can get that way. But what he's telling you is this. Understand, God is going to execute judgment on all the people that have done wrong. All the people that have done wrong. It's coming. Now, if you have not been here on the Wednesday nights or have not tuned in on the Wednesday nights, we went through the book of Zechariah. The book of Zechariah and some of the prophecies there will really clear some of this stuff up because we see in one of the visions that God sends out the horsemen, but they have no weapons. And they just go out and they observe. But then they go out a second time. Because God is saying basically this in the... You can go through the whole series. We, we spent about 14, 15, 16 weeks, I guess. Something like that on it. We spent a little while on it. But the... The prophecies are in the first part. Basically, God is saying this. Look, 
When I say it's over and I send the people out to start to doing the harvest and start to basically rein in the unrighteous, when I start that, it doesn't stop. That means judgment is coming. And that means those people are on their way to hell. They're dead. If we understand the heart of God, God says, I want to hold off on this because I want as many people to avoid hell as possible. If I have faith, then I simply say, God, I know that you are doing this at the best time. You are going to come at the best time. And I don't know when that time is. And I may be getting frustrated with some of the things that I'm seeing. But I know, and I have faith in you, and I have confidence in you, that you are coming at the best time. And whenever you decide that best time is, I thank you. So there's a way that you can stand in faith and pray these prayers. And there's a way that you can be in doubt and unbelief. Don't fall into doubt and unbelief. I can still pray. God, bring, bring your justice down upon these unrighteous souls. These people who want to take their evil and spread it to other people. They are not content with being evil themselves, but they want to spread it to others. The Word of God has a word for this. It's called pernicious evil. It's evil that is not content with being evil itself. It must spread to others. It must force others into the other kind of evil that they're doing. And you've seen this in communistic governments all over the place. Uh, they just they want to force people to do the evil that they have sold themselves out to. And there are people who stood up to that. But here in this passage here in Revelation, we see they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, verse 10, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. We may get to that place and say, How much longer is this going to go on? Stay in faith. Stay in the place of faith. You can still make the prayers. God, bring your justice down. Bring your judgment down upon them. Let that happen. But stay in the area of faith. We need to be standing in faith, believing the prophecies of the Word of God. Not pleading and hoping for vengeance to come. Stand believing, knowing that all through Scripture, it is prophesied that He is coming and He will judge the unrighteous. He will separate the righteous from the unrighteous. He will cast them out into outer darkness. And all these prophecies, all these things that are said are going to happen. Have faith in it. God, I already read the book. I know what you said you're going to do and I will believe that you are going to do it. Don't get discontented when you look around and see, well, here's another day. How many more days are we going to be down here? How many more days is it going to go on? We can get a little tired of it. Now, don't listen to people teaching from the Bible to do things against what you know to be God's will. Don't listen to it. You need to know what the will of God is. That's one of those things you've got to pursue and find out. I know this is the will of God. And if someone comes along and teaches you, go against it, don't do it. Don't go against it. Stay with what the Word of God says. Stay with it. You look at the... Um, you know, some of them, we, we spent some time when we were in Zechariah, we're looking at the millennial reign, we're looking at the tribulation, some of the things that are un, unfolding there. And still one of the great misconceptions of all this is that in the tribulation, 
people still think that it is a worldwide movement to receive the mark of the beast. How many ever heard that and believed that? It is not a worldwide movement for the mark of the beast. Understand this. Us in this country, it is very unlikely that we will have a choice if we were still here. <laughs> if we were still here, if we actually went through the tribulation, or if you know people that are in the tribulation, if they are in this country, if they are in the country of Europe, if they are in the country of South America, it is very unlikely that they will ever have the choice of taking the mark of the beast. There's a verse in Scripture. We looked at it. I don't know if I spent the time on it that I intended to when we were in Zechariah. There's a verse in Scripture that says all those that received the mark of the beast were removed from the earth. We're thinking, oh man, that must be just about everybody. It is not. Because the mark of the beast is the mark of the Antichrist. The Antichrist does not control the world. We talked to many, many times in here. If the Antichrist controlled the world, there would not be war. You cannot have war if you have a one world government. And we have multiple nations who gather against Christ, who gather against Jerusalem in the end. Multiple nations come against them, including the forces of Antichrist. The forces of Antichrist, we've laid this out for you before, not going to get into a whole lot of detail on it, but the forces of Antichrist, the forerunner comes from uh, the area of Assyria, the area of Syria, the area of Turkey, the area of Iran, the area of Iraq. This is the area that he comes from. He was called the king of the north in the Old Testament. He is the forerunner. He was Antiochus Epiphanes. He comes out of the Grecian Empire, not out of the Roman Empire. He comes out of the Grecian Empire. He was in the, what is called the king of the north. It is not the north as in Russia. It is the north as in Turkey, Iran, Iraq. It is north of Israel. He is the one. He comes to power. Remember the ten-nation configuration? That ten-nation configuration is out of the area where the king in the north was. He will dethrone three of them. But that means that the nations of China, the nations of Russia, the nations of Europe, the nations of Africa, the nations of South America, the nations of North America, these are not included. The mark of the beast is set up with an image in the temple and he forces those under his control to either bow down to his image and accept his mark or be killed. But he does not have jurisdiction over the world. So it is not a worldwide thing. Whether anyone else duplicates it, I can't tell you because that part of the Word of God is centered around Israel because we're once again on Jewish time. But don't think that the mark of the beast is a worldwide phenomenon. Because right now, you know, there's all these people, as soon as they talk about getting anything underneath your skin, oh, that's the mark of the beast. It is not the mark of the beast. I could go out here right now with all the knowledge that I have and accept a chip underneath my, underneath my hand and I would be completely free of knowing that, that I am not, have not taken the mark of the beast. I'm not going to do it. I'm just saying that I could because I know the mark of the beast, what makes it unique is not that it's a chip under your skin. It is not that you cannot buy or sell without it. It is the fact that it involves the worship of the image of the beast in order for you to receive it. That's what is the problem. God does not care how you regulate money. He does not care if you use paper or plastic. doesn't care. If you want to go out there and use plastic all the time, fine, go out there and use plastic. If you don't want to carry dollar bills in your pocket, fine, don't carry dollar bills. If all you want to do is cash, fine, carry cash. It doesn't make any difference. That is not 
what the mark of the beast is. And you see, when you get teaching in there and it kind of confuses it, people begin to think, oh, well, this is, I don't want to stay with that. I don't want to go with that. Oh, what? my bank is going digital. Oh, my supermarket, they're going digital. Oh, all these people. Don't be worried about it. Don't be concerned. The mark of the beast involves the worship of the image of the beast and that's why it sets you apart. That's why God says, do not take it because he's saying, do not bow down to the image of the beast and worship it. I hope that's, that's clear for you. That is the mark of the beast. Many are on the earth who didn't have the choice but apparently didn't choose Jesus yet either. And apparently some of those were not removed from the earth. We spent a little bit of time on that in the series on Zechariah. You can always go back up there and, and listen to that if you want to. But be careful. Don't receive teaching. They'll teach you to do something against what you know to be the will of God. Here's four things. These are four things I gave you years ago. I just kind of pulled them out, wanted to give them to you again. First off, don't ask for what you have already been given. That's not faith. Don't be persistent in asking, well, I'm going to come and ask for this again. Don't ask for what you've already been given. If the Word of God says it's already yours, don't ask for it again. God says that's already yours. Don't ask for what you are what you are not to have. Don't ask for it. Don't ask for what you are not to have. People will say, yeah, but I love her. Yeah, but she's somebody else's wife. I'm not supposed to be asking for that. Oh, but you don't know, understand. I love her. I love him. Oh, you can't help who you love. Yes, you can. What is one of the things that the Word of God teaches is the root of all evil? The love of money. Well, like you can't help who you love. Right? So if you love money, what if you love sin? Doesn't the Word of God talk about those people who love sin? You can surely help who and what you love. But don't ask for what you are not to have. Know from the Word of God. The Word of God says, I'm not to have that. I'm staying out of that. I'm not asking for that. Don't expect now what is yet to come. Don't be going over there and saying, God, I want you to come tomorrow. Don't be doing that. It is yet to come. It is in His time. And I'm not supposed to be here demanding that. That's not a place of faith. Don't expect now what is yet to come. And don't audition for God's job. It's God's job to pick the day that he sends Jesus. It is God's job to pick the day that all that happens. It is God's job to decide who gets judged and who doesn't. Don't audition for God's job. You won't get it. That's not how we are to, how we are to work. Make sure that you stay persistent in things that are in faith. Because the enemy wants to get you to not be persistent on the things of faith while being persistent on the things of doubt. Don't follow after that. Don't go after the things of doubt. Oh, God, please do this for me. Oh, God, I know I asked you about this yesterday, but I don't have it yet, so I'm going to ask again. Oh, God, please bring this over to me. Don't, don't be do that. Don't be persistent in doubt. Be persistent in faith. Something's not quite working out. I'm believing God that this is coming about for me. I'm believing God that this is going to happen. Stand on that way. Well, you don't know what's coming against me. You don't know what I see in this world that's telling me that's not going to happen. 
That's not going to go in that direction. You're not receiving this thing. You don't know what I see. I don't care what you see. You got to know what you believe. Because the Word of God says that if we ask God and believe in our heart, we shall receive. I got to believe in my heart first. And then I shall receive. But the believing in your heart has to come first. We have, well, how long? A week? See, now you're putting a time frame on it. Don't put a time frame. Get convinced. This is what the Word of God said. I know it's God's will that that I have that thing because that's what He said in His Word. I have His Word right here. And make sure you got Word there. And go over that Word. Quote that Word. What's the Word of God teaching you? If you don't know that the Word of God promised it to you, that's your problem. Get back into the Word of God. Find out, God, what did you teach me in this Word? You've got other brothers and sisters around you. Ask some of them. I'm, getting, I'm not quite sure. Did God say I could have this? Does God's Word promise this to me? Find out in His Word. Make sure you got the, the Word right there in front of you and be looking it over. Well, this is what the Word of God says. It says, I have this. It says, I am this. It said, I become this. And say those things. Speak them. But stand there. Don't be, don't be moved. Paul taught us the armor, having done all, to stand. You keep standing in faith. You don't be moved off of that. Don't get moved off your faith. The devil will love to get you into persistence in doubt instead of persistence in faith. He'll use interpretations like for this, this parable right here to get you there. Well, you just got to keep on asking. You just never know. Maybe God will be in the mood this time. Maybe God will answer it this time. Don't be going on that direction. Stand with it. Stay with it. Father God, I thank you that I have this thing. I know some things that have come into my life. God has shown me, all right, do this. And I've done it, and I've done it, and I've done it, and it's not, not changing. Dear Lord, what else do I need to do? God's hit me upside the head sometimes and said, what did I tell you to do? All right, so I go back and, and keep on doing that thing. And then you keep standing, you keep standing, and you begin to see a change. But you see, if you're just trying it out, it won't work. Brother Hagin used to always teach us that. It don't come by trying. You can't just try it. You've got to commit. You've got to be all on board. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to go. Make sure that you, that you do this thing. We were, we were, I was watching uh, Chenzo uh, last Sunday. We got him this, this birthday present. And um, it's probably the most horrible thing that any parent would ever want to see their child get. But grandparents love it. <laughs> but have you ever seen those hoverboards? Yeah, well, they, uh, they both have a hover, hoverboard at home. And so uh, they ride it, you know, sometimes. But my, my wife was able to find this thing that's a, it's a little seat that you mount onto the hoverboard. And it's got these uh, handles. And it has a spot out there in the front for you to put your legs so you sit down on the hoverboard. And then with the handles, you control how fast and how you're turning and stuff like that. It didn't, didn't take Chenzo five minutes to get this thing down. And all of a sudden, zoom, ran on down the road. Zoom, ran off the road over here. He is just going to town. He just has been set free. <laughs> he is just having a ball. His face is all lit up. But you see, he committed to it. You got to commit to the thing. You can't get in there and just kind of be tentative and just kind of try try. You ever try to teach somebody how to drive and they're they're tentative? They're not quite sure what to do. Yeah, they're going to get in an accident. You got to be. You got to commit to it. Just like if you're going to pull out of the parking 
lot and get out onto the street if you go, well, I'm not sure if I should do it right now and so you go real slow. That's a sure way to get in trouble. No, when you go out, what do you want to do? Commit. Floor it. Go fast. I like it when I'm, when I'm challenged to do that in my truck. You know, i got a big old truck. But uh, you floor it, that sucker can move. Especially when it's empty. That thing's ready to, to carry some, some weight. I floor that thing and zoom. My goal is to be up beyond the speed limit before the next guy behind me gets close. Because I don't want to be in his way. you got to commit. You're going to get into the area of faith. you got to commit. This is where I'm going. Father, this is what your word taught me. This is what your word said. I am going to believe for the things you told me I can believe for in my job. I'm going to believe for the things you told me I can believe for in my life. I'm going to believe for the things that you told me I can believe for in my body. And you just believe it. Sell out to it. Don't be, don't be talking two-faced. Don't be going out there and say, Well, I don't know. I asked God for it, but I haven't got it yet. That's two-faced. That's not committed. Don't be doing that. Sell yourself out to it. No, nope, but I got it. I got it. <laughs> That's how you want to go. Would you all stand up with me? We're just going to pray a prayer along these lines here now. Father God, I thank you that you are working justice for your saints. You have not forgotten us. You have not seen the injustices that are done and not care. Father, you care greatly about what is going on. And I thank you that you have a plan. But first off, you are trying to get them folks into the kingdom, change their life. Father, I thank you for the work that you're doing to change those people's lives. But the day will come and the time will be up and the bridegroom will be sent and the church will be raptured and vengeance will be poured out on this earth. Father, I know that your justice is coming and as we look upon these people that are doing evil and we can get a little frustrated because of all the things that are not happening to them, We can know that if they do not change their ways, justice is coming. And it will be hard and fast and cruel. Not cruel in a way that it is unjust, but that fiery place to be in, oh, what a torment that will be. You would spare them such things if they would repent. And Father, I thank you for the love that you have for this world that you have picked the best time to come. You have set your sights on that time. And we know that day is coming. And when you come, you will find faith in us. We will be believing. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I hope this series on the parables has helped you understand these things and understand how they need to apply to your life. We have a teaching coming out for you. Tomorrow, boy, I tell you what, I've got a whole bunch of things I could have brought on out. I kind of already set myself into motion to uh, bring out one of Brother Hagin's. And so uh, I had this one from Brother Hagin, and then there's another one that's right on his heels. I ended up putting two up on the, uh, on the uh, channel for you to look at. If you are on the text message, you will get both links. If you go to the Facebook, you will see both links there as well. But the first one, when you're going through, he's teaching you how you can get what you need, such as healing, on your own faith. 
He teaches from the scriptures and he is also going to give you numbers, numerous examples. There's a second one too. He just goes over some other examples. I believe that second one, it sounded familiar to like one of the ones I had put up there before, so I'm not exactly sure. The title didn't match anything, but maybe you heard some of the stories, but I know at least a couple of them are different. But if you never have heard him tell this story of when uh, he had this, uh, almost like a paralysis on one side of his face to where his uh, face wouldn't smile on one side. Ever never heard that story? He'll tell the story. I think it's on the second one in which he will teach you how he did it himself even though it didn't look like it was done. To him, it was done. And some of the things he came against in the people that were around him, well-meaning people that were around him, but uh, kept seeming to undermining his faith or undermining his belief in that thing. So there's two of them on that. I appreciated some of the comments. Some of you folks enjoyed uh, Brother, Brother Fred Price on faith, foolishness, and presumption. There is a book out about it. If you uh, can't find it, let me know. I'll send you a link to it. I have a PDF copy I carry with me. And every once in a while I can pull that out and, and read it. But there is that. I did. They was able to find one other uh, teaching that is listed as faith, foolishness, or presumption. So maybe I'll put that up there for the, for the next week. Um, I haven't gone through it yet. I found it searching for something else, and so I kind of just put it aside. And uh, I may listen to that one, and uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I love Brother Fred Price. He's just uh, one, of my, one of the most fun teachers I have to listen to. So hopefully that will, that will be good for you. On Wednesday night, we are continuing the series on Nehemiah. We're in Chapter 3. Spent some time on, on Chapter 2, and I wrote some things in the bulletin for you there to uh, refresh you on that if you haven't gone back through and checked that out. Understand, when we, when we do things here at church, we have Sundays and we have Wednesdays. There's a different purpose for each one. Sunday's purpose is 100%. The only thing we do on Sundays is topical. We take a topic and we go through the entire Word of God. We look at it in the Old Testament. We look at it in the New Testament. We sometimes spend 20, 30, 40 weeks on something to get all that the Old Testament, all that the New Testament had to say about that topic. I want you to see everything that I can find, everything that God shows me that I need to bring you on that. We bring it out there. On Wednesdays, we don't do that. We don't do topical on Wednesday. Wednesday, we study a character or we study a book. And we go through the entire book. What this forces you to do is to take on chapters that otherwise you would not uh, not do. And we did Ezekiel. We did a chapter in there. I even told him when I came out, I said, if it wasn't for the fact we were going through this, I would skip this chapter. Because <laughs> it was a tough chapter to do. I had a hard time with it. Not, not so much with the message that was in there. It just was a tough chapter. If you were here doing the series of Ezekiel, you will remember very well which one I was telling you about because I made it very clear this is a really tough one. Well, there was Zechariah chapter 14 and it was such a tough chapter. I heard, um, oh, there was one uh, well-known uh, well-known teacher. I forgot his name went away. He actually, I think it might have been Barnhouse. He actually did a commentary on Zechariah and the first time he wrote it, he left chapter 14 out. Just didn't touch it. And then when he came back to chapter 14, when he did it a second time, he came back to 14 and he says, I really don't know what this is teaching us to do. And that was it. <laughs> that was it. But we ended up uh, being in chapter 14 for a little while. I like sometimes being forced to go after something because I want to, first off, what does it teach? And secondly, how do you apply it to your life? What, how, how is it that we can live this thing out? So there's a twofold thing. If you only get what we get on Sundays, you're only getting half of what you need. Wednesdays, we cover the other part. So I hope you can, if you can't make it out here personally, we have it available for you. You can watch it live. You, if you watch it live, you can put questions up. 
You can go up there and say, hey, what about this? And you don't have to wait till the end to ask a question. You can put your question up any time, and then at the end of the service, Daryl will read them off there to me. He lets me know, hey, we got this question that came up, and we'll try and deal with them before we, we get done. If you don't watch it live, you won't be able to have that opportunity, but if you put a question up, I'll try and help you out with that as, as much as we can. Great to have you here. Hope you enjoy the rest of the beautiful day that you got. Ladies, get